Hi there. Welcome to the 100th episode of Decoding Obesity. Before we dive in, I wanted to thank you for being a part of this journey thus far. I also want to let you know that I will be taking a break from podcasting for a few months to take care of some things in my personal life. But I want to assure you that I will be back with more fun episodes once I return. Having said that, the podcast will not stop, so don't worry. You know, I will be replaying some of the old episodes while I'm away. It can seem daunting to start right from the beginning especially if you're just starting to listen to the podcast and hence this will actually help you catch up on those old episodes if you haven't listened to them already. Let's dive into the episode now. This is the Decoding Obesity podcast where we simplify, demystify and decode obesity, helping you lose weight and feel great. So, gear up for a fascinating journey through this ever-evolving field, and let's see what we find. And please remember that the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And now, here's your host of the Decoding Obesity podcast, Dr. Avishkar Sabarwal. Hi friend, welcome to the 100th episode of Decoding Obesity. I want to begin by thanking you for listening to my podcast for this long. I hope I have been able to help you in some way through my podcast. Well, let's talk about another important study today. I want to welcome back Michael Johnson who shared his knowledge and experience on exercising in a larger body. He has been a clinical exercise physiologist in the medical field for 11 years. He currently works in a weight management medical facility that takes a multidisciplinary approach to weight loss. His goal is to take the complication out of exercise and help everyone know that they can exercise too. Well, welcome back Michael. I am very very excited to have you for my 100th episode. Thank you. I'm happy to be back. Yeah. So, the article that we're going to be talking about today is titled Physical Activity, Motives, Barriers and Preferences in People with Obesity: A Systematic Review. Let's just dive into it. What do you think kind of led to this a systematic review of you know all the studies that have been published on physical activity in patients with obesity well you know as you and your listeners know physical activity is something that a lot of people in a larger body or people dealing with the disease of obesity struggle with I and mean, i think that this comprehensive review or systematic review covers a lot of the mo- you know it talks about the motives the barriers and how people want to get started with it so it just, uh, if anything, I think that a study like this is really kind of validate a lot of people's feelings. Yeah. And what do you think was the, really the need? I mean, we have had so many studies on this, right? That's why there's a systematic review. And I know I was amazed at the amount of papers that they initially included into this kind of a review where this came through and then finally, you know, narrowed it down to a few studies that they chose. But what do you think? I mean, with the huge amount of information that's out there, what do you think was the need I mean, to have this kind of a systematic review? Just so people can know the best way to just get started with some type of exercise and learning what's the best way to get maximum results or to find out, you know, maybe you're dealing with pain or something like that. What's good for you? So, Michael, let's just dive into this study and, you know, talk about how really it was conducted and, you know, the length and breadth of information that they looked at was seems to be phenomenal. Let's talk about what a systematic review is just for people to understand. And of course, the gold standard being randomized controlled trial, which this was not. But let's talk about what a systematic review is and how this study was done. So they reviewed, like, I think it was just under 6,000 papers. And they were looking for 
like the most common physical activity or barriers, motives, and preferences. And throughout those 5,800, however many studies or papers there were, they came up with 27 studies that met the criteria that they were looking at. And then from there, they went through those 27 studies and just kind of broke down what the most common barriers, preferences, motives were for each for that they found out in each of the studies. Yeah, Michael, you know, when I was going through this, it was pretty impressive that they had the time and the bandwidth to actually go through 5,899 papers. Then they narrowed it down to what, 27 studies? Yes, 27. Yeah, so from 5899 to 27, I'm sure they must have had some selection criteria and a lot of people working to kind of get to this number. But I think for our listeners, systematic review is when they take a bunch of studies and kind of review the data, sort of club it together and see if there's something that comes out from it. And they look for pretty similar studies so that the data can be clubbed together once it meets the criteria that they've set for their particular review. It's of course not as good as a randomized control trial, in which case they actually have people go through a certain intervention and then they have a control group to compare it with. So that obviously forms a gold standard because there's an active intervention happening and they're you know, kind of tracking the results real time. But this is just a review of a bunch of studies together. So obviously this is not in any way the gold standard, but I think it does highlight some of the important points that did come up. And I think when we had our discussion about exercising in a larger body, we did discuss a lot of these points. So, you know, let's just talk about what the results were of, of the systematic review that they did. Sure. So what they were looking for, like we mentioned, was the motives, the barriers, and preferences. And what they came up with was the number one motive for exercise was, this probably shouldn't, won't come as a surprise to you and your listeners, was weight management. The number two one was they wanted to increase energy, physical fitness. Number three was social support, which I thought was kind of interesting on the social support aspect of things. Social support meaning, you know, like belonging to a group, wanting the need to socialize or like peer support, that type of thing was a motive because a lot of times, and in fact, they did note this in some of the studies that social support was also somewhat of a barrier for some also just because Maybe they don't want to work out in front of someone or they don't want to exercise in a large group. So I found that interesting that social support found came both on the motive and the barrier side of things. But weight management, increasing energy and physical fitness, and then social support were the number one or the top three motives that they found across this systematic review. Yeah, and I think just to alluding to the point of social support, I actually have talked to several other people on my podcast about this. And, you know, a lot of times people with obesity kind of feel alone in their journey because it's kind of like the whole world is kind of pointing fingers at them. It's kind of like their fault. So I think looking for social support becomes an important aspect of helping somebody, especially with management of weight. Right, exactly. And I did see that they were more likely to, one of the studies was discussing how people are more likely to participate in exercise if they are in a group of people of their same age and sex, which I also found interesting as well. Right. And what about the barriers? Because it does talk about some impediments also to exercise. Sure. So the barriers was the number one that they discussed was lack of self-discipline and motivation. Number two was pain or physical discomfort during exercise. And number three was lack of time, which I hear a lot in my day-to-day a meeting with patients is lack of time is one of their biggest barriers. So I definitely could identify with all of those that they discussed. 
You know, what was surprising to me was the pain, because obviously, you know, when I exercise, I don't go through the pain. And obviously, I could not understand what pain would be. But I've heard this from so many people who are suffering from this about the pains. And, you know, we talked about this when I had you for the other episode that we did together. But yeah, I think it seems to be that the pain is a big factor in all of this. And that becomes kind of important for especially people who are going to the gym and say not going to an exercise physiologist to kind of understand that this is expected or this is very common and something to keep in the back of their minds when they start increasing their physical activity. Right. In fact, Avishka, I guess, I don't know if this was included in my bio on the original one, but in addition to working in a weight management clinic, I also spend time in a pain clinic with a multidisciplinary approach there as well. So I do meet with patients with pain and I talk to them about exercise and sometimes it's not met (laughs) very positively, as you can imagine. But it is important. It does play a role. Exercise plays a role because a lot of times I'll just talk about just getting some range of motion going or just adjustment of their expectations because they, someone with pain might feel like, oh, okay, I'm in this much back pain. I can't lift my right leg. How am I supposed to exercise? Well, we can probably get around that through something. We can do some range of motion exercises or we can maybe, if we're able to walk, maybe we can only do five minutes, but that's exercise. So we can start there and we just kind of build through. When we're talking pain, we just won't want to push through additional pain. You know, you're right, Michael. It's important to understand that we need to kind of take control of our expectations because a lot of times what happens is in our heads, we move a lot faster or we do a lot more in our heads than our body is actually physically able to do. And that's very common. I see it in myself a lot of times. I'm sure you probably see it when you see your clients. Yes, everybody, everyone who's just getting started with an exercise program will tell you that at one point or another, they have overdone it, let's say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so pain is like something that you have to kind of understand is going to happen and so it's not, and we discussed about this, we do not have to have the attitude of no pain, no gain, quote unquote. Correct. Pain is real, but we want to kind of have the physical activity routine kind of built around that so that you're not in pain, but you're still physically active. Correct. Yeah, I can use myself as an example. I have some herniated discs at L3, 4, and 5. It flares up with certain things. I know that a deadlift, for example, it's going to flare things up, but I can still do deadlifts, but maybe I only do 40 pounds and not 240 pounds. So I'm still going through the motion. I'm still adding weight to it. I'm just adjusting what I'm doing to fit my limitations. Right. And they talk about, you know, low motivation and lack of time. They did talk about having certain behavioral interventions, you know, which might help kind of get the motivation up and talk about lack of time, which we did talk about last time as well. Right. In one of the studies that they looked at, they talked about the lack of time and that they did a time study and that necessarily, that wasn't the case for a lot of patients or a lot of people. They have the time. It's more of a motivation thing. And something else that they kind of touched on is that even people with more time, they still weren't very active. (laughs) So it's more of a a motivation factor rather than a lack of time. We'll sometimes use lack of time as a convenient excuse, so to speak. And motivation, that can be a tricky thing because it's going to be different for everybody. They mentioned in the studies that motivational interviewing might be something that they could do, but that's not something everyone's going to have access to. You know, I use motivational interviewing when I talk with patients, but not everyone's going to be meeting with exercise professional. So it's going to be a little bit more harder for them. So that's why it's good when people know what they're working for and they have to 
strive for that goal. Yeah, I think it holds true for everything in medicine, I believe. I think it's just about meeting the patient where they are. Right. If they're motivated enough to kind of, you know, starting it, then you start the physical activity routine with them. If they're just learning about it and thinking about it, then you have to give them time and kind of not thrust stuff on them. And we understand and we kind of learn this, you know, in medicine to meet the patient where they are. Correct. Not kind of, you know, enforce ourselves as providers onto the patients so that right. they feel uncomfortable in that environment. And I think that holds true for any human interaction, not just us as providers, but, you know, family members, friends, whatever. I think it just holds true for every kind of interaction that we have. Right. We just have to kind of look at exercise as one of our priorities. And if we have a goal that we're working towards and we know what the benefit it's going to do for us, then we got to find that time. Even if it's 5, 10, 15 minutes, we got to find that time and we got to work on that motivation. I wish there was a better answer than that. And that's what <laughs> I tell my patients when I meet with you. I wish I had a better answer, but you're going to have to do a lot of this work yourself. Right, right. And what do you think were the, the limitations? I think the biggest one, of course, is that it was a mix of a lot of studies. So the data you get is, it's, it's not going to be that great, as would be a randomized controlled trial, of course. But what other right. things do you think could have been done better so that we could have had a better kind of a data from this or analysis? A lot of the studies, admittedly, were done on females. There was a lack of male representation in these 27 studies. Not that there wasn't any that had males, it's just there was more females. So I would like to see more males represented in a big study like this. I think that would give us a little bit more insight. What I've found is that females often, they're not as versed in exercise as the male patients that I meet with. So they often look at that as, well, I, I don't know what to do, so I just won't do anything. Not to say that males aren't that way too. It's just that I have a bigger sample size of the females who kind of use that as a reason as to kind of avoid exercise also. And that's from your, just your own that's anecdotal experience. That's right. your observation from your, we don't have any data to prove this. So please, I please, ladies, correct. this is nothing against you. I just want to say correct. this is just anecdotal. This is just based on Michael's experience in his practice, what he's seen. Of course, he's not tracked the numbers as well. So there are a lot of biases built into this statement that he just made especially like recency bias and stuff. So please just take it <laughs> as he says it at face value. And uh, I just want to request all my listeners to not be upset with Michael because he said that. <laughs> Correct. And if I just had to put a number on it, I would say about 90% of the patients that I see day to day are female compared to males. Okay, interesting. Interesting. So again, that's also something I wish I had a bigger representation of males. Right. To base off of what I just said off. Interesting. So that's interesting. But, you know, I would love to see some studies on what the ratio or what the amount of motivation is in females versus males with respect to increasing physical activity or exercise, especially when they're suffering from obesity. And that would be right. something interesting to look at as well and kind of try and understand what are the drivers of those. Oh, absolutely. That would be very interesting to see the results of a study like that. I'm sure it probably actually exists. Yeah, well, I have to look for it, then, I guess. <laughs> That's homework for me. So how do you think, Michael, this is going to impact uh, your practice? Or what do you think our listeners can take away from this study to kind of understand the importance of this study? You know, if I could sum up this study altogether, I'd say exercise is not one size fits all. And I know I mentioned this a lot the last time I was on with you, but it rings true, and I say it multiple times a day, don't overcomplicate exercise. That's kind of what I got from this study is that 
oftentimes people will kind of overcomplicate it and they just use that as an excuse to not exercise. Now, for example, overcomplicating exercise would be like I saw there was a reference on one of the studies where, again, this was a mostly female study, but it said that females typically won't have strength training as part of their exercise routine. Sometimes people often look at strength training as, you know, I don't really know what to do, so therefore I'm just not going to do it. I'm going to stick with on my the elliptical, and that's males and females. That's not sex-specific. That's just what that one study was discussing. But that's overcomplicating exercise. If we can just get started doing three or four different, doing some bicep curls and some push-ups on the ground and maybe some squats, that's a good start to just getting some strength training. And we're not overcomplicating, but we're just getting started doing something. Right. And I think with respect to the whole lack of time issue, I think we had discussed a lot of things last time. And one of the things that I found in the study was the fact that they mentioned that you could do some physical activity during your work break, or even by reducing TV viewing and doing other activities, just like you mentioned, say doing squats, or doing some push-ups in between. Yeah, that's exactly right. Just finding that time to get that exercise in. I know I do have some patients that keep like a resistance band in their drawer at desk and they'll pull that out. They're on a meeting that they don't necessarily have to participate in. They're just watching. (laughs) They'll pull that out and kind of get their upper body workout in for the day. A lot of times people will have the time. They just have to look for it. Yeah. And the other thing was, and I think this is really the core issue is how you prioritize physical activity in your schedule, right? So if it's high up in your priority list, then you will find time for stuff. When it Correct. goes lower and lower in your priority list, like I'm going to do this first and then I'll see if I have time and I'll do X, Y, and Z, we will always find activities to fill up the time that we have. And right. we only have 24 hours in a day. So it's just about having that mindset to kind of prioritize physical activity whenever you're going to do it. And we discussed this at length about, you know, you can have a schedule that you make or however you want to do it to kind of have it and incorporate it within your day and your daily schedule. Right. Yeah. It's not something that you necessarily, you know, need to drive the gym to and change your clothes and go sweat for an hour in order for it to be effective. So that's what oftentimes people will do that. I call that overcomplicating exercise. (laughs) I think for me, the bigger takeaway than all of this, because I think all of this, we kind of know at the back of our minds and we're just trying to kind of avoid thinking about it. But I think the bigger takeaway for me was the fact that pain is such a big issue with respect to exercise, especially for people who are suffering from obesity and who are starting physical activity in a larger body, which is a very real thing and a very real challenge that people can have. And that's why, again, everybody can start at whatever level they want to start. But I think it's always better to start with somebody watching over your shoulder to make sure that you're not doing something wrong which will hurt your body. Because remember, when somebody is in a larger body or is heavier, they have a lot more weight that they're carrying. So even if they start just using their body weight, any wrong move can actually have a very drastic detrimental effect on the joints because just because of the fact that the weight that they're carrying is more. Correct. Yes. You nailed it. The pain is just a very tricky subject, especially when it comes to exercise. And yeah, we'll have to make some modifications, you know, with patients who are suffering from obesity and pain at the same time. But again, a lot of it is just, let's take it down. You know, maybe we work on isometric exercises before we start doing 
resistance band or something like that. Or maybe we take it one step back and before we do any type of muscle contraction, we just work on stretching. We just work on that routine and getting that routine of, okay, I'm going to stretch for five minutes this morning. I'm going to stretch for five minutes before I go to bed. And then if we can maybe start getting some of the pain under control, depending on the injury, obviously there's a lot of variables to go into that. But then taking that five minutes and you're doing your stretching now, now let's add three or four more minutes of some isometric contractions. Maybe we're just, you know, lifting our leg up off the ground and holding it for 10 seconds for a hip flexor isometric contraction. We want to take that to their level so they can start to gradually increase their intensity. But that's one of the, the barriers with pain is that a lot of times people in their head you know, I can physically do this, but pain is my limitation. Right. And when I say, you know, lift your leg up and hold it for five seconds or 10 seconds, they're, they're going to be like, well, this is beneath me and I got to kind of bring it back. <laughs> so it is tricky. It is. And it can be frustrating for both myself and the patients that I'm working with. But that's the best way to go. You nailed it right on the head. With that. Yeah. And I think the aspect of this is that that's why I'm saying that working with somebody who's well-versed with physical activity and, you know, the different ranges of motion and the different types of motions that are available to us is that a lot of times the common exercises that we see all around us or we see people doing in the gyms may not be for people who are suffering from obesity and they may need a lot of modifications, not just a little bit, but a lot of modifications in the type of movements that they do before they can actually get to doing those movements that they see people doing commonly in the gym. Because, you know, you can easily brush it off and say, oh, well, I already know. I see 10 people doing X, Y, and Z exercise in the gym. I already know what to do. But the problem is just because of the way the physics works and just because of the way the body is, Mm -hmm. that may not be the right thing to do at that time. Correct. You're 100% correct. I did want to mention one more thing that the number one motive for starting an exercise program was weight management. Other studies have shown that exercise alone just kind of gives us moderate results when it comes to weight management. So I just kind of wanted to throw that out there. And this is something that I do tell my patients also that you can't get the results you're wanting with exercise alone. You have to change other aspects of your life, whether that's good sleep or better diet. I always tell them you can never out-exercise a bad diet. So just found that interesting that that was number one was weight management, but it can't be exercise alone. You know, but it's interesting that they mentioned weight management and did not say weight loss per se. Correct. Which would be I two different things. Also. Yeah, so that would be kind of like main either I don't know if what they meant by weight management, but I do understand, you know, the fact that you're mentioning and this kind of alludes to the common misconception that's out there that you can really, you know, exercise and you can burn off X, Y, and Z number of calories and you should be fine. You eat a muffin and you just go on the treadmill. And it's equal to that. Right. So that kind of alludes to that kind of a mentality, which is very common. Yeah. And that might be a whole different podcast <laughs> episode. <Yeah. laughs> but, <laughs> but I did want to throw that out there that I found that interesting that that was their fighting, finding for their number one motive for weight man or for uh, starting an exercise program. Yeah. Well, I think this has been a very interesting discussion, Michael. Do you have any parting thoughts about this study? Well, I mean, you probably already know what it is, but don't overcomplicate exercise. Just use what you have, even if that's just your body weight, just getting started doing something and not pushing through pain. That's always going to be my advice for people who are getting started with exercise. Well, thank you so much, Michael, for coming on my show and to my 100th episode. I'm really, really happy that I had you and I'm really excited that I've come this far and our podcast has come this far. 
Yeah, congratulations on your 100th episode. That's amazing. And I'm always happy to be on. Thank you. And yeah, and yeah, it was great having you. Well, that's all we have time for today. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in. And I'll see you all next time. You've been listening to the Decoding Obesity Podcast. Please remember, the information in this podcast should not be used in any legal capacity whatsoever. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are solely of the host and his guests and do not constitute medical advice. Views and opinions on this show do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of any organization. And that brings us to the end of the show. Thank you so much for listening in. Don't forget to visit our website, www.decodingobesity.com, for show notes and more info. And if you've enjoyed this episode, please feel free to rate, review, and subscribe on your preferred podcast listening platform. We really appreciate that effort. Until next time.